Father, we thank you for that word that Paul just read to us. Lord, your word has power to transform our lives, to change us from the inside out, to change our hearts, our minds, and our souls. So I thank you for the reading of your word and the hearing of it, God. What a blessing. And Lord, thank you that we could sing with Brandon and the team. We could sing your truths back to you. We can sing promises and we can, Lord, um, even when we don't always fully believe what we are singing, God, you intercede in those moments and you lift up praises for the sake of your name. We thank you, God, for that. Thank you that we can sing to you. We can gather as a corporate body this morning and just lift up Jesus Christ. So we pray that he would be high and lifted up this morning. We pray that people who don't know Christ would come to saving faith in Jesus this morning. We pray also for people that are believers that they would be built up in their faith and the genuineness of their faith would would manifest itself more and more and more in their lives. Be gracious to us, God, and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to, yeah, good to see all you guys this morning. So uh, just a couple things while we, uh, while we get into the Word this morning. First Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, just, to, just to remind you, we are into our Moving In campaign. We're in earnest now as a church family. Uh, we bought the grocery store debt-free. Amen? That was a great thing. That's a great thing. Now we're going to remodel it debt-free. Hallelujah. So... Uh, we need everybody doing that, though. Everybody in the church membership, especially. Uh, we This is our moving in campaign. This is our renovation campaign. It's a one-year thing. And uh, we are trusting God to supernaturally provide once again. Praise the Lord. And he's going to. And uh, we believe that by faith. And if you're a member of this church, uh, you have a packet out in the lobby that we'd like you to pick up and just pray over that. Consider what God might have you give in the next year, I know that Danielle and I made our pledge, and we are trusting God personally with our finances to do great things. And so as, as we lead out sacrificially, we would just encourage you as members to also lead out by faith, you know, and, and follow Jesus by faith. So that's coming up. Also, um, I don't know if Rob flashed this up, but we do have yard signs. Hey, how about that? Yard signs, yes. So uh, you guys, have there's free yard signs in the lobby. If you want one, you can get one just on your way out. They're on tables. Just grab one, take it out. The thing about yard signs is this. Um, It's an easy way to evangelize. It's an easy way to let your neighborhood know that you believe in Jesus and you go to church here and uh, all that. Now, it also serves as a little bit of accountability. Amen. You kind of got to live like a Christian if you're going to put a church sign in your yard. So... um, so we would encourage you to get, get, a, get a church sign, uh, put it out in your yard free of charge. Just go ahead and do that and uh, rep Living Waters, rep Jesus out in your neighborhood. That would be a good thing. Um, also, if you're new and you're with us this morning, either in this theater or in the other theater, uh, we're glad that you're here. We're really, really glad that you're here. And so if you want to, as Rob said, uh, there's like a little scan code in the, in the uh, lobby, you can scan that. We just want to let you, we just want to make a record that you're here with us and rejoice and follow up with a little postcard. Say thank you for visiting. Um, but thanks for being here this morning. We're very thankful. Uh, we are into our Living Hope sermon series, so we're off of the Easter one week uh, you know celebration, and we're back into God's Word. We're going through First Peter verse by verse, and we are into chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-five, and Paul. 
uh, read that so well. And so this is just all about servants and masters. And so um, you can think about it as bosses and employees. But before you think that you're getting a message on how to be a good, respectful employee to your boss, think again. Because Peter just, he's talking about slaves and masters and he just launches. He just like doesn't even ask for our permission. He just launches into this, this whole thing about suffering and suffering well. When you are treated unjustly, when someone treats you bad, um, he, he just launches into this huge thing and he lands on the cross of Christ. And he, that's, that's really the emphasis of where we're going. How do you respond when you're treated badly? When you're doing good and doing good for Jesus and you get treated poorly, how are you going to respond? So that's where we're going this morning. So the word that Peter uses is suffering. Okay, so he's going to use this verse or this word in verse 19 and verse 20. And this word in the Greek, it literally means the experience of being in a bad situation. You guys ever been there before? Yeah, yeah. You've been in a bad situation or a bad way. You're in a bad path. And that is suffering, according to what Peter's talking about. If you've been in a bad experience or you've been in a bad way in life and you are receiving bad from another human being, then you are what Peter would describe as suffering. Okay, so there's lots of different kinds of suffering. Some suffering you bring on yourself because of stupid decisions. Can I get a witness? All right. Sometimes we just make bad decisions. We sin with our mouths or we make a bad choice. And uh, Peter's going to address that too with the slaves. He's going to say um, in verse 20, what credit is it if you sin and you're beaten for it? Like, like, there's no credit whatsoever. It's a rhetorical question. Like, you don't get any credit with God if you make a terrible decision and you suffering. Like, oh, I'm suffering. And sometimes God looks down from heaven and he says, you're an idiot. Amen? All right. So other times, suffering comes providentially into our lives and we can't control it. Cancer, diagnoses, sickness, we can't control some of those things. Those things come out from the outside to us, and it's suffering of, of, a, of a providential kind, where God brings that into your life to just push the genuineness of your faith to the next level. Are you going to lean on Jesus, or are you going to freak out? What, what, you know, what are you going to do? And that's a process and a war, and it takes time for us to work through that too. But this, is, this kind of suffering in this passage is all about what do you do when you're underneath someone, another human, you're trying to serve that human, you're trying to help that human, you're trying to point, serve that human for Jesus, and that human gets crooked on you and treats you badly, even though you are doing what is right in the eyes of God. How do you do with that? Now, suffering as a whole, as a big doctrine, Americans stink at understanding this doctrine. Can I get a witness? We're, we're the worst. We are the worst. Americans are the worst at understanding suffering because literally in our day and age, we think we're suffering when we don't get an immediate text back from somebody. That's suffering. I mean, that, that's emotional and social suffering in our world that somebody didn't text me back right on time because we live in such a digital, quick, receiving, quick uh, sending age, right? And so it's kind of hard for us to talk about suffering 
and I'm the first in line here. Like I am, like I'm struggling in my mind as an American Christian to be like, do I suffer? Have I suffered? Like this is this is a intense passage of suffering underneath bad masters, bad bosses. But but ultimately, like, can we? It's hard for us as Americans, so we'll ask God. To, to help show us the way because we as Americans rightfully confess as Christians in this 2021 year that we struggle um, in our spirit to really suffer well underneath the oppression of other people. We do. We just struggle. Now, um, if you're going through suffering right now, um, it stinks, doesn't it? And I was just thinking through my own life, like I... I have had sufferings for the name of Jesus, but I hardly even want to mention them because I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy compared to brothers and sisters in Jesus all over the world right now who are being beaten for their faith, physically tortured for Jesus' sake, and being killed right now. So as an American pastor, it's hard for me to look at some of my stories and be like, yeah, I... I, I can't say that I'm just front in line. I, I need this message to keep going, right? To not only keep going, to not be afraid of what might come for naming the name of Christ. So uh, back in the day, there was a night when I was doing a Bible study with uh, some newer Christians. They had just come to Christ, and I was doing a Bible study with them. I drove my SUV over to their neighborhood, parked, right, and and did a Bible study. They're growing in grace. They're going to get baptized. All this stuff. I come out, and to my south side surprise, my rear windshield had been broke, busted open, right? And, and all my stuff had been ruffled through. So I'm like, dude, I'm doing a good thing for Jesus. This is the repayment that I get? You know, like, and then the joke was really on the robbers, right? Because they found out that I am indeed a poor pastor. Amen? <laughs> joke's on you. Joke's on you. I didn't have anything valuable to steal, right? So there's been things like that. One day I had a, a conversation with a Mormon, a couple Mormon missionaries on a sidewalk, and we were back and forth arguing, debating theology, you know, and going back, and I'm telling them to leave my neighbors alone, right? Like they're going through my neighborhood. You don't go through my neighborhood, Mormons. So I'm having a debate on theology and work back and forth. And the, the one Mormon missionary got so frustrated with me. He was like, you evangelical pastors are all the same. And he's like, and you, you, you have a demon inside you. <laughs> really? I have, that, I mean, I guess that's a compliment. I'll take it and run. Stay out of my neighborhood. Amen? Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> So I've been labeled over the years a false teacher. I've been slandered thousands of times, I'm sure, as a pastor, where just people just slander you for all these different reasons, whatever. Um, you know, I've stretched my schedule out to meet with people, and they either waste my time or they, they dig into it in an hour, and they, they're truly, you know, they, they, they ditch the meeting or whatever. They, you, you know, I reach my hand out to the obstinate and the unreachable, and it's just like, at times, it's just like, my goodness, they don't care and I'm trying to do a good thing right and so in the midst of that you guys can fill in the blanks with your own stuff that you do like when you've tried to serve Jesus you've really tried to go for it and you have gotten not a blessing but you have gotten persecution or unjust treatment in your life as a result right think about it 
stinks. But Jesus said it would be this way. Right? You know this? John 16.33 might be a verse to write down in your notes where Jesus himself said, In this world, you will have trouble. I know in modern Christianity, we don't like that verse anymore. Let's go ahead and bring that verse out and say, Jesus said, in this world, Christian, you will have trouble. Take it to the bank. And then he says, but take courage. I've overcome the world, right? Amen. So what starts out to be a text about, you know, slaves and masters, Peter is going to just explode into this theological masterpiece of suffering well when you are treated unjustly. So um, some of the servants that Peter is talking to here in verse 18, he's addressing them. He is saying, be subject to your masters. So submit to them, right? And do it with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle. Amen for good and gentle bosses, right? But also to the unjust ones, the ones that are unjust. You want to learn some Greek? Here we go. Unjust, that word literally means crooked or bent. Hmm. You ever had any crooked bosses? Bent bosses? Maybe you were the bent boss. I don't know. Right? But literally, it's where we get our word for scoliosis. Literally. So Peter is saying, look, we are to submit ourselves and to do good for Jesus, not only to the good and gentle bosses, which we love, but to the ones who are crooked, literally crooked in their morals, and they treat you badly. Now, um, I'm amazed. I think, you know, and I think we would all be amazed at just sometimes how our Christian theology gets so whacked out where when something happens to us, we are looking around like, what is happening to me? A bad thing happened to me. And our, our, our theology of suffering is so weak that we're like, what in the world happened? And as a pastor, we all need God's word. We need Peter to talk to us this morning and say, you live in a sin-cursed world with a wicked heart. What do you expect? My goodness, church, let's grab it and just take it into our souls here. This is not a surprise when bad things happen to us. There is a lie that is out there what happens, you know, what happens when bad things happen to good people. It's just fundamentally a flawed phrase because there are no good people, right? We're all wicked. And the society and the world wants to tell us that we're all good and we know deep down we ain't good. We're not good. So therefore, how will we respond? Because when you come to know Jesus, he changes your life, amen? He changes you. And then all of a sudden, you want to do good. You want to like, serve Jesus. You want to help bless people that you hurt before you knew Christ. You want to lay your life down for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, when you do that, you still get treated badly by people. And in fact, maybe the bad treatment ramps up. Then you're kind of like confused. Like, what do I do? What do I do with my life? I, I mean, I want to lay it down for Christ, but... Seems like the more I do this, the more intense the, the suffering is. Like if you've tried, I need to get a Bible reading amen in here. Like, have you ever tried to just like read your Bible more? You know, and you see what happens in your life, your world starts going crazy, right? 
You start reading your Bible like, I'm trying to do a good thing, God. Like, what's up? I'm trying to read the Bible more. And the intensity goes up because before Satan didn't have to worry about you. Amen? But now you start walking with Jesus and now all of a sudden, like, he cares about what's going on in your life. He doesn't want you to rise up. He doesn't want you to grow in grace. He doesn't want you to make an impact on your neighborhood or your family. He doesn't want that. So you try to do that and all of a sudden it's going to ramp up the suffering. Probably unjust. And so Peter says in verse 21, he says, for to you, to this you have been called. You've been called. Now the word called there is uh, another word for occupation. All right, and you see what Peter's saying? It's your job. It's your job to suffer unjustly for the name of Jesus. Whoa. How many Americans need to take that mindset on? To say, my job is not to live the American dream. My job, according to Peter's command, my job is to suffer like Jesus under injustice. Dude, that's a whole new thing. And so it is for us today. We as Christians, we are called, living waters, we are called to suffer unjustly. And we are called to do that in, in a way where we consider that normal. That's normal suffering for me. Okay, so Peter is saying this, all right? They're called to suffer unjustly, and that suffering should be considered normal. That's us. This should be considered normal. So for some of you Christians, it's time to make a mindset shift this morning. Suffering should not be one of these things that we hope we can avoid like a ninja. We are called to embrace it and say, when it comes into my life, especially from people who are treating me bad, I need to expect it as normal. And when we do that, our whole lives will change in a good way. So um, here's the question that begs to be asked. What am I supposed to do then? What am I supposed to do when I'm doing what's right for Christ and I'm being unjustly treated? What am I supposed to do, Josh? Pastor, what do you want me to do then? If I'm being treated poorly, what do you want me to do? Well, Peter is going to lay out three things that we can do. Okay, he's going to lay out three things. One, think about God. When you are unjustly treated, think about God. Secondly, follow Jesus' example. Go to the cross and just be with Christ at the cross. Thirdly, let Jesus heal you. We're all in need of healing this morning. Can I get a witness? Amen. We're all broken people. We'll talk about that at the end of this passage. But we're going, to, we're going to see this this morning. we got to think about God. we got to follow Jesus' example, and we have to let Jesus heal us. Now, here's a, here's a phrase I want you to get in your mind as we get into the text. I will see a victory in my suffering. I don't know what you're walking through. I'm not sure everything that's going on in your life. I'm a good pastor. I know a lot of things that are happening in a lot of people's lives, so I know this is true. But we have to, by faith, believe it and reckon it true. I will see a victory in my suffering. Sometimes we want the victory to be after we're done suffering. Do we not? Amen. That's how Americans work. That's how we work. Like, I'll, I'll get the victory afterwards. I just got to get through this thing first. 
But I think, I think what Peter is telling us is like, no, the victory is in the midst of the suffering if you can take the right steps. So let's look at the three activities. First activity, think about God. Think about God. And uh, this is in verse 19. I think I got it here. Uh, no, I don't. Just with, look with me in your Bible then. Verse 19, for this, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God... One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then if you skip down, it says, but if you do good and suffer, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So the first thing I want you to see is just this phrase, this is a gracious thing. Gracious, gracious, gracious. It's in verse 19, it's in verse 20. It's a gracious thing when believers are unjustly suffering, when they are mindful of God, that is a gracious thing. Secondly, it's a gracious thing in God's eyes when you do good and you suffer for it. God in heaven is saying, that's gracious. That's amazing what's going on right down down there. So, it's a gracious miracle, right? When you go through a trial and someone is mistreating you or someone is unjustly treating you, you need a miracle, right? You don't need a command. You need a miracle. So this is what Peter is first saying. He's saying you've got to have an experience of grace. If you're going to get through your trial, you have to have an experience of God's grace. You don't need just another list of commandment from a preacher or from your Bible reading or some list of things that you need to do. You need a, a literal movement from heaven. Amen? Amen. We've got to have that if we're going to make it through our trials. Now, it's a gracious thing, and this is probably the most important phrase in the text. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God. Mindful of God. One endures sorrows. Mindful of God means the conscience in your inner part of your soul, in your mind, you consider God. When you're going through something hard, you have to think about God. Can I get a witness? You got to think about God. You got to think about God where? In his holy habitation in heaven. When you're going through something hard, you got to see God with your mind, heart, and soul. You have to see him that he is sovereign and he is in control and he is absolutely not panicked by your situation. Praise God. He's not freaking out in heaven, looking down, saying, oh my goodness, I have no idea what to do right now. He's looking down on our situation and he says, look at the gracious thing I am doing. I'm causing Josh to lift his eyes to heaven. Because if you see God on his throne, you're going to see a God who's perfectly joyful in everything that he does, holy in all that he does, righteous in all that he does, and he's right on time, right on purpose with everything he does in our lives. Do you guys know Psalm 46? Maybe you do. Psalm 46, uh, God is identified as the Lord of hosts. He's the God of armies. He's the God who protects Israel. He's the God who protects his people. And, and all this stuff is happening. You could, like, all this earth is melting, mountains are falling. All this chaos is happening. Armies are fighting each other. And there's, there's wars on the earth and all this stuff. And in verse 10, you'll know this verse when I say it. It says, be still and know that I am God exalted above the nations 
exalted above the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So when we consider God, when we're mindful of God, we are thinking about him. John Piper said it this way. He says, considering God or reckoning God is reckoning with him. It's including him in the equation of the relationship. It's thinking about God. It is taking God seriously. It's seeing him as that, that third party that is, that is really present with you. This is the source of the miracle. God is the source. Um, consider what R.C. Sproul said. He's another theologian that I love. He said, to consider God is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. So church, if you want to get in a good place as you work through being mistreated, you have to see God. And you have to cry out to Him, and you've got to see Him working, and you have to be able to give your situation to Him verbally in prayer and in your heart non-verbally. You've got to just do that, and you've got to spend time with God to make that happen. So, I just want to get practical in marriage, at work, and with your kids. First of all, in marriage. In marriage, for those of you who are married, when your spouse acts wrongly to you, treats you poorly, makes you suffer, here's the deal. God sees you. Amen? In your marriage, when you're about ready to, to lose it, and there's been so many crushing trials in the marriages within our church. You guys need to understand, I'm not just talking like butterflies and rainbows right now. I'm talking very really for, as from a pastor's perspective. So many crushing things in marriage. I just want to encourage you as a spouse, like if you're going to endure, maybe you're enduring hard things, wrong things, sinful things. If you're going to make it through it, you have to know that God sees you. And you see him too. Amen? And you give your spouse to God. If they're acting wrong, you don't need to act wrong. You need to see God. And give your situation to God. How about at work? When your boss is being completely unreasonable. Can I get an amen? And threatens you and pushes you beyond your ability to hack it. And you can't. I mean, try, you're trying to do your best. You're doing good work for Jesus to the best of your ability, for the profitability of your company or your group or whoever you're with. And you just think that the boss is on me and he's never, he's always on me or she's always on me, like all the time. God sees you, amen? amen. Sees you. And you need to see him. Your job's just not about your tasks. Praise God. Your job is not about the profitability of your company. The, your job is about God. And you need to see him at work. And you need to release your boss to God. You need to release your superior to God and say, God, you got him. What about with your kids? If you have kids. <laughs> what happens when they never say thank you ever? What happens when... Like they never once acknowledge all the meals and all the laundry 
and all the rides to practice and all the new clothes and, and, and bringing them to church and taking them to vacation and they never say thank you. Not a word. It just goes in a black hole. Parents, you need to see God. Amen? <laughs> see God. You got to see him on your throat saying, I'm right on time with your kid. I'm right on time. I'm over your kid. Go get counseling with Andy. <laughs> but what about your enemies? What about the people you're trying to reach for Jesus? What about those people that are just hard-hearted? Every time you talk to them, it's just stiff arm. It's avoidance. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not fun. You know what's going to happen if you try to bring up Jesus with them. See God. See God. He sees you. He sees what's going on. You need to see him. So that's activity number one, see God. Activity number two is follow Jesus' example. This is verse 21 through 23. So um, verse 21 is, for to this you have been called, and we already talked about that as occupation, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Christ also suffered for you. This should blow us away. Jesus experienced suffering unjustly. Can I get an amen? Oh my, that's like, that's like the biggest unjust scene in the history of the world is Jesus Christ going to a bloody cross for you and me underneath the hard and wicked and crooked hand of men. The religious leaders and Pilate, they were crooked, crooked, crooked men. What drove them? Power and envy. They wanted power. And Jesus was threatening to take it away from them. And they envied his influence amongst the common people. They didn't like him. So therefore, they, they were power and envy as their, as their main motivations. What about the disciples? They were crooked, weren't they? And crooked crew. Jesus loved them. They were crooked. Now, what was their big problem when Jesus went to the cross? They were cowards. They ran. Jesus needed them the most. Peter's denying him three times around the fire. Everybody else is wandering away except for John, young John. Young John's following Jesus. Everybody else is gone. So there's the religious leaders and the disciples, and then there's us, the most crooked of them all. Amen? What's wrong with us? Everything's wrong with us. Because we're a wicked combination of all of this. We're cowards who want power and we struggle with envy too. We're cowards, but we want power. And yet we struggle with envy. We want what other people want. So here's the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus suffering for you and me is this. Is that at the cross, Jesus Christ took all the suffering that you've experienced, every single ounce of it. He took all of the misunderstandings. How many misunderstandings have you had in your life? 10 million? He took all the mistreatment, all the broken hurt in your life and in my life, and he took all the condemnation and the shame, and he put it on himself, and I say, oh, how much he loves us, amen? amen. Who is this man 
who would love broken and crooked people like us and he takes all the condemnation off of us so that everything we experience as a believer in Jesus is a blessing. How is it a blessing? You never have to face the wrath of God in your life. If you know Christ, you never have to die and be fearful that he will cast you into hell because you know Jesus. And he took it all on his body for you so that when you stand before God, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're a believer in Jesus, you don't deserve to hear those words. Not with your crooked life, you don't. But praise God for the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus being on our side, interceding on our behalf and telling us, I love you, I died for you, I took all the wrath, all the condemnation, all the hurt out of your life. So anything that comes in to your life is for your blessing. So if God lets Suffering, unjust suffering in your life, he does it on purpose for a reason. To lift you up, to test the genuineness of your faith, to move you to a place where you keep persevering, right? Now, he did all this to give us as an example, right? He left us an example, verse 21, so that we might follow in his steps. Now, this word for example is really amazing. Um, It is... It it is a written copy. That's basically what it means. This word means uh, to write a copy of something across a sheet of paper as a template to copy underneath. Okay, so you guys remember when you were learning how to write in second grade or third grade, for some of you, when you were learning how to write in 10th grade, whatever, right? But you remember those writing sheets that we all got? It was like the template was at the top and all the letters were dashes. You remember? You just connect the, connect the dashes together and then you got to fly solo. Can I get a witness? You got to fly solo with your words. So it's like J, J. Okay, your turn now. J. Okay, T, T, T. Like this. And you just like, you totally mess it up. But then over time, what? You begin to trace better, right? You begin to trace more like the original, right? So here's another example. This is a YouTube channel that my kids watch. Have you, I don't know, if you've never seen it, it's pretty cool. It's called Art for Kids Hub, okay? And this is a, is a story of an of a adult artist, and he does these art journeys with kids on YouTube all over the world, and he does them with his kids in the room. So, so he'll write, he'll teach you how to draw, whatever, and he'll draw on one side, and then his own children will, will draw the same thing on the other side. Now, he's given the same instructions. He's like, okay, uh, a curvy line here and a straight line here, and then we're going to do eyes here. And then you can see his kids on YouTube trying to do the same thing. So this is Forky from, from Toy Story, right? So on the right-hand side is... The artist, this is the dad, he writes a really beautiful forky. On the left is the kid. Not bad, probably better than I could ever do. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I mean, probably better than I could ever do. But you can see how it's traced, but it's not quite the same. 
I'm bringing that into this passage because Christ is our example. If we want to, oh, uh oh, let me get this. I know. Oh, man. Okay. Regroup. If we want to understand the cross and get over some of the persecution, unjust that we're getting, we have to learn to go to the cross and start tracing. We got to start tracing Jesus. Right? We go to the cross and how did he suffer? How did he endure? How did he act? Did he revile when he was reviled? No, he didn't, he didn't do that. Did he threaten when he was threatened? No, he didn't. Okay, in my situation, as I'm being falsely and unjustly treated, I need to go to the cross and I need to start tracing Jesus in my own life. Now, will my tracing look like Jesus? No, it'll be squiggly and <laughs> weird and sometimes it won't even look like a cross very good, right? But Jesus, slowly, over time, he keeps bringing new trials into our lives. People keep uh, oppressing us. We keep, we keep standing for Christ, and, and then the traces get a little closer. Praise God. And we start reflecting what Jesus is really like to the nations and to people that we're trying to reach. And this is where we see following Christ's example. Now, when you grow in Christ, your tendency is going to be to get into God's word and think, I know a lot of God's word. I'm done with the suffering thing. You know, I went through the trials early, but now I just want to coast as a believer. That's like, this is, we often think of retirement as a Christian. And we're like, I want to retire as a Christian. You know, I don't want any more of these trials. I've been through enough. Fight that impulse with everything that's within you. Because Christ has called us not to suffer less, but to suffer more and to suffer better for his namesake. So we are to follow Jesus' example. And finally, we are to let Jesus heal us. And I'll see if I can get that. There we go. To let Jesus heal us, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And that's a quote from Isaiah 53 verse 5. So the third activity that God wants us to do, or Peter wants us to do as we're being unjustly treated, is to let Jesus heal us. We are to be healed by the wounds of Jesus Christ. By his wounds we are healed. That is passive in nature. We are to let Jesus, work on us and work in us. Now, the word healed means to make whole. By his wounds you have been made whole, which means what? It means that sin fractures us. Like if you give in to, to bitterness in your life, you've been Christian long enough, you've been through enough things, you're kind of bitter, maybe bitterness has been welling up within you for a few weeks or a few months or a few years. You know what that does? It fractures your soul and it breaks your mind and it leaves you in need of healing, healing at the cross of Christ through his blood. Maybe for some of you, you've been, you know, angry, just been angry. Angry at people who've hurt you not forgiving them, 
not letting them, them go with forgiveness that is found in Jesus. And in the midst of that, it, it fractures your soul and it hurts your mind and you're in need of healing to be made whole. For some of you, it's, uh, it's frustration. You've been so frustrated lately. You've been just frustrated. Just, it's been this, just kind of this thing that's been eating at you. And you need the healing touch of Jesus Christ. So no matter what your sin struggle is this morning, even if you're a Christian, you need the healing of Jesus' blood. By his wounds, you've been healed. Which means the only way that a human soul can be made whole is through the wounds of Christ. The blood of Jesus is the only way you and I get healed this morning. Amen? It's not everything else. I know that you've thought through a hundred other things that could heal your soul. I'm here to preach at you and tell you those things will not work. According to God's word and Peter, only the blood of Jesus shed for us will heal us and make us whole. Only the blood will bring the healing. It's kind of like John 5 verse 6. When Jesus went up to the paralytic, you remember this? And he walked up to him and he asked him a question. He said, do you want to be healed? Man, what a question. Do you want to be healed? And the paralytic did what all of us this morning are prone to do. Fight it, right? Jesus comes up and asks you to be healed. You fight that thing. You don't let Jesus come into your heart and heal your soul. Amen? The paralytic, he, he, he fought it. He's like, well, I can't even get down to the water. You know, every time the water gets stirred, somebody else goes in front of me. Nobody cares about me. Woe is me. And Jesus says, I'll heal you. Nobody else got time for you. I got time for you. Take up your mat and walk. Church, I'm, t- I'm telling you, Jesus Christ can heal us. He can heal us. Now, we might fight him pretty good. And say, you don't understand, I got all these other things. I got, I got stuff going on in me. I got hardness. I got... Ugh. Everybody's got a story. Just ask them, right? Everybody did you wrong. Everybody's keeping you down, right? And Jesus just reaches out his hand. He said, do you want to be healed or what? My goodness, church. I mean, Jesus is just reaching his hand like straight into this place this morning. And saying, do you want it or not? Do you want it? I'm willing. It's powerful, man. And so this is... uh, Julie McDaniel's Facebook post from this morning, right? So if you need a good, a good way to finish your sermon, go on Facebook. It'll help you, right? <laughs> but Julie posted this this morning. I'm like, perfect. This is the perfect verse. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. That's how we're closing this sermon, church.
God, he longs to be gracious to you. He longs for it. You're suffering unjustly. People treating you bad because you're a Jesus follower. You're doing good. You got to let Jesus heal you of the hurt. So I'm just going to invite you to be healed. Not because I have any power, but because Jesus has the power. He longs to be gracious to you, to show compassion. So our response comes back to the question, what am I supposed to do when I'm doing what's right and I'm being unjustly treated? What am I going to do? Think about God. Oh, think about God. Go to the cross and trace Jesus. And then let him heal you. So I don't know what your hurts are this morning, but if you're a Christian, right, I will see a victory in my suffering. I will. And you got to hold on to that. I will see a victory in my suffering as I look to God and trace the cross, get the healing from Jesus. I will see the victory in my suffering. Praise God. And all the good things that will come out of that. Because God's going to save people through you. God is going to reach people who don't know Christ through you. God is going to bless your family through you. As you get this victory through your suffering, God is going to man- He's going to magnify and manifest and multiply His gospel in your life and in the lives of tons of people around you that you're like, I had no idea God could use me that way. So if you're a believer, receive it, right? And if you're not a Christian, the only way to get a victory this morning through the suffering of this crazy world is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To say, I'm wicked and I'm crooked and I put Jesus on the cross and I'm ready to believe. This morning is my morning to believe. This is my morning to believe in Jesus. Be the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And you can do it now. You don't have to wait. You can do it now. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day to be saved. So, those are the things that God is doing. As you suffer under injustice, you're going to see a victory through your suffering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, for the way your spirit is working this morning through through the, the word of God. Lord, this is really all about your word. This is all about Jesus Christ. This is not about me or anybody here. God, this is about you speaking to people, speaking to their souls. So Lord, for Christians this morning, I just pray for them that that you would allow them to endure and be active as they are suffering unjustly. God, would you give them the grace have a miracle moment with you right now. God, to come to the foot of your throne and see you in control, sovereign over all things, in control of all things, even the heartbreak and the suffering that's going on. And go to the cross and trace it. Just trace Jesus. And Lord, to be healed. To be healed. We need that healing, Lord, this morning. So we pray that 
believers would just cry out to you during singing and now during prayer, just that they cry out and be healed of, of what's bothering them and bugging them and fighting against them, sin, suffering. God, may you give a victory. Lord, for anybody that doesn't know Christ, God, may this be the day of their salvation. May this be the day that they believe, that they just call out to you for the first time, Jesus, and and invite you into their hearts by faith. So Lord, give us strength to rise now and to sing. God, it is well. It is well. It is well with our souls, God, this morning. Because of what Jesus has done, we pray by faith. Amen. Let's stand once more.